This podcast is brought to you by Hello Future. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, expand your patent portfolio, create amazing new profitable products and services, or effectively project manage to market? Then contact us today, hellofuture.co, and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right. Well, thanks, Jonah. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been great. Great to meet you finally. Uh, this is how we meet nowadays, right? That's um, right. That's so right. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Um. Well, great. Well, it's nice to be, meet you, and it's great to uh, great to be talking with you today, especially about this this subject. Um, so, my name is Jonah Meyerberg. I'm one of the co-founders and the CTO of Desktop Metal, um, and um, I'm a mechanical engineer. By, by the way, uh, I love degree. the name of the company. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, well, thank you very much. I am. We wanted to keep it simple. Um, we wanted it to tell a, an immediate story. Um, and that is the simplification of metal 3D printing. Um, so, uh, you know, what's simpler than a metal printer sitting on your desktop? Um, but that's, uh, that's right. Um, we are, um, so we'll get into desktop metal in a minute, but just for, for um, your benefit, my background, I'm a mechanical engineer. I studied um, manufacturing um, and solid mechanics at Lehigh University and Johns Hopkins University. Um, I had my first job out of college was designing power tools. I, I you know, I love designing things. Um, and then, um, and I met my co-founder Rick uh, when he was um, starting a, a battery startup. And as a mechanical engineer, there's not a whole lot of moving parts in a battery, so I was a little bit nervous and jumping into, uh, you know, energy storage. Um, but it, uh, it it changed my life. It was an amazing experience, and it put me on this trajectory to chase down sustainability. Um, that, uh, you know, that is just has become my passion. So, um, you know, I've started out in, um, in manufacturing and design of, uh, of kind of consumer electronics, went into energy storage and, and then, um, was really looking into uh, other ways to, to, to make a difference in, uh, in, in sustainability and green tech got into water desalinization and water cleaning. Um, and then, um, and then started to, uh, to, really focus on cleaning up manufacturing. And that's where we are today um, at Desktop Metal. Very cool. So tell, tell me a little about the desalinization. What, ha- what happened there? Did you, was the technology not far not enough along for you to work with it or? Cause that sounds really fascinating no, to it, me as it was, well. It, absolutely, absolutely. So um, it was, totally was fascinating and it was a great experience. Um, this um, was a company that, uh, a technology that came out of MIT focused on cleaning up the um, wastewater that was being produced at fracking sites. Um, and, you know, this is, fr- fracking gets a bad name because um, really it's a, it's a dirty process. And part of the reason is because you're putting clean water um, into the ground and making dirty water. And that's, um, you know, that's never good. So if you could recover that water um, and reuse it or recover it and release it, um, that's what we focused on. And, um, and so I, I spent a lot of time in Texas, uh, deploying these desalinization plants. We call them desalinization. It's not OSHA, no, not ocean 
water. Um, but uh, this, the water that comes out of the ground during a fracking uh, site is, a, uh, is very salty. And so one of the biggest uh, you know, dissolved solids that you need to pull out of that water is salt. Um, but then there's a lot of other things as well, a lot of other minerals and a lot of other chemicals. Um, so you clean all that stuff up and then you make the water uh, clean enough to release into the environment again. Um, and, um, and it makes fracking look a whole lot better than, um, than it did. Very cool. Very cool. So, so you transitioned to desktop metal and you said manufacturing, is that because it's your past, that's where you came from, your historical history, you've always been interested in manufacturing or what, what brought you into the manufacturing space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I was a mechanical engineer, always studying manufacturing and manufacturing technologies, processes. And um, when I was in school, we studied 3D printing, I'll use study in quotations, um, 3D printing and additive manufacturing were really just a concept in the 90s um, for, for prototyping. And it really wasn't you know, taught as a mainstream manufacturing process back then. Um, so I was always kind of a customer of 3D printing and I immediately saw the potential as a mechanical engineer designing in the digital world. Um, I needed to then get those products out of the digital world and into the physical world. Uh, and 3D printing you know, was, the, was the answer back then. Uh, wasn't ready, um, and so we had to wait a couple couple of decades before we um, we could really take it to where we're taking Don't it. Don't you hate that everything always takes longer than you think? It's like, oh, this is so <laughs> cool. We we need it now, and it just takes forever. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it really does. And you know what? We we tend to uh, you know overestimate the short term. We're like, this is going to happen next year, and underestimate the long term. Um, and we really need to rebalance our the way we think because um, there's because it will happen. It does happen. It just takes some time. Um, it's not going to be tomorrow, but it will, uh, it'll be faster than we, than we think, especially with guys like Elon Musk out there pushing, pushing for it, um, you know, to happen fast. Um, so yeah, so I, I started out in manufacturing. Um, and like I said, I went into, uh, energy storage with, with uh, designing next generation lithium ion batteries. Um, and these were batteries and battery technology that enabled our customers to do things they'd never been able to do before. Um, you know, electrify uh, cars or grids, um, you know, and and really take energy storage into areas where it could be the most beneficial, um, you know, for changing the environment, changing changing the world, sustaining, um, you know, sustaining green tech. And the electric car really led the it really led the way. You know, this is you know twenty years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The electric the electric car was going to save the world, right? It was you know it was, it was like all of our pollution comes from electric vehicles, and and as soon as we have a good sustainable electric vehicle, then we'll make a big difference um, in carbon emissions and you know everything there. And, it, and it's yeah. working, it really is working. We're 15 years later, it's working. Um, but what I discovered along the way is that, yeah, sure, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the automotive industry and um, vehicles and, and highways, transportation, logistics, it's a big part of it for sure. But if mm-hmm. you take a look at other areas like, you know, like water, I, I, I dove into water and water was an important piece of the puzzle here as well. Um, but when you really take a look at it, manufacturing can make an even bigger difference, right? Oh, yeah. Making manufacturing greener um, mm-hmm. and, and additive manufacturing digitizes manufacturing in a, in a way that, you know, that isn't there currently, right? Traditional manufacturing requires a ton of investment into uh, tooling. Um, you know, it, it, it drove this kind of this uh, third industrial revolution to to consolidate all the manufacturing in a low low rent country, and and you know develop this supply chain that was like materials in, materials out. Um, yeah. This this non digital analog type of manufacturing is it can be improved significantly through 
through additive. So additive being a fully digital process means that we can send files you know, electronically anywhere we want. We can distribute manufacturing back to you know, countries where you want it to be, where the end use products are being used next to the, the assembly factories. Um, we, you know, reshoring all that manufacturing simplifies the, you know, the, yeah. the supply chain. It's a lot cleaner, right? I mean, additive manufacturing is way Absolutely. cleaner than current processes, right? It's highly, highly optimized. Exactly. All of the tools um, that we use in current traditional manufacturing are now digitized, consolidated, put into a server instead of a warehouse, a warehouse full of shelves where you have physical tools sitting there rusting, obsoleting. You now have digital tools that can be easily maintained, improved, and, and updated. And then, um, you know, the, and you know, I call them digital tools, but they're really just build files, right? They're build files mm-hmm. that are, are, are designed for additive and then um, can be continuously improved and the design can be continuously changed and updated and, and there's no waste stream there. Fabulous. So what happens, so when you talk about sustainability, let's say you do create the part or whatever, um, and then can the part then be recycled as well? Like once it's been improved and replaced, can you, yes. can you actually take that piece that you've created and recycle that back into the process? Yeah. So that's a, it's a great, it's a great point. And it's one of the reasons why we started in metal uh, because of the materials that you use to develop your product or design your product, manufacture your product. Um, they have the biggest impact on the world. Um, and we're, we're seeing this right now on, you know, in electric vehicles. It's like, okay, sure. We're making the electric car greener, uh, you know, or electricity is making the, the car greener, but what do we do with that battery that we, you know, mm-hmm. that we've spent all this energy and time into, and we we put it exactly. Into I mean, that's 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 always been my issue with electric cars. It's like, what what happens at the end of life? I mean, what happens to these batteries? I mean, where are they going to go? What are we going to do with them? Yes, exactly. And so the UN has um, launched this initiative a number of years back: the circular economy, the circular vehicle. Um, and it's challenging everybody, uh, all of the, the the vehicle designers, and then um, the the uh, um, uh, the life of that vehicle beyond um, the road. What do you, what happens next? And these battery packs are now being removed from the vehicle and put onto the grid because there's still a lot of life back in it, right? You start mm-hmm. what you you buy a car, um, you buy a Tesla or whatever, and it has um, 300 miles per charge on it, and that goes down as you run and cycle that car. The, you know the batteries are reduced. So by the time it gets down to 250 or 200 miles. Per charge, you're a consumer. You're you're upset. I need a new car because I'm not going as far as I want. But there's still two thirds or more of that energy storage left in that vehicle. So put that somewhere else. Use that somewhere else. You know, have have uh, you know a farm in which you know uh, you know you have uh, wind tech or solar tech charging that battery and de- and depleting that battery at a much lower rate than you would on the car on the on the you know on the road. Um, and so there's an extended life there for that battery. The same thing is true on every component within the car. And that's why we focused on metals. So metals are infinitely recyclable as opposed to plastics, right? Like you can take these polymers and we can put them in the recycle bin um, and we can chop them up and turn them into something else. But usually that's where it ends. Usually you take, yeah. you know, these, these polymers and turn them into a carpet or turn them into a textile or something that like is the next level down of that manufacturing process. It's no longer virgin polymers that can be you know made into very critical applications it's it's secondary to recycle um and that's the problem we need to as an industry begin to focus on recyclable materials and the the start is metals right so metals Mm -hmm. we can melt melt them down and reuse them forever um and that's the that's the big uh the big push here in the circular vehicle how do we lightweight the vehicle simplify it and use recyclable materials doing it is there a particular metal that's preferred or, I mean, I, I'm assuming there's new, also a new technology in the metal space to, in, in, to create 
new alloys and things like that. I mean, are, are we seeing new things there that will make cars lighter and, and make parts better? Yes, absolutely. So there are preferred materials and or preferred metals, depending on where you are in that vehicle or where you are on that engine or spacecraft or rocket. Um, there are certain requirements, whether it's temperature or, uh, or strength of material or ductility, resistance uh, you know, to cracking. Um, there are definitely preferred materials and um, and we're seeing, for instance, you know, steels being used in, you know, in high strength, high temperature applications. Um, and then, you know, materials like titanium, which could replace steels with the strength and at a lower weight. But titaniums are traditionally very, very expensive. Now, titaniums, you know, are usually come in a big block or rod form um, and, are, and are reduced, right, through subtractive manufacturing. Um, where you have a lot of waste generated. You're, you're taking this really, really expensive material and you're machining it you know, down and sometimes removing up to 90% of it. This is, you know, yep. there's some air, aircraft applications that, that remove more than 90% of the material that you want to use. Insane. And, and That's insane. insane. Um, and so this is really where additive comes in and, and, it, and immediately reaches parity and says, hey, we're, we're going to print um, instead of machining um, and we're going to use only the material that we need to use. Um, and oh yeah, if you have some critical features, holes or, or surfaces that really need high precision, we can machine those, but we're taking off a fraction of the material uh, that you would normally scrap for that process. So added manufacturing kind of enables these very expensive, high value, high performance materials to be manufactured in a much more efficient way and unlocks uh, their use in, in other industries. You know, initially starting with medical and, um, and rocket and, and aerospace, where um, they're, they're needed and you can afford them. Um, but the automotive industry would love to use it. The power tool industry would love to use titanium. Oh yeah. Um, they, you know, so this is, and that's, that's right where it's going. So I'd love to, so I, I can understand how the polymer, the polymer additive stuff I've seen in 3d printers, additive 3d printers make plastic stuff, but how do I can't imagine, how do you, how do you make metal stuff out of 3d printing? I mean, is it some kind of do you, is it like soldering almost like where you're, where you're melting, making the, making the metal fluid or how does it actually work? Yeah. So that's a, it's a great question. And there's not one answer for that. Um, so metal printing, metal 3d printing has been a long, I've been around for, you know, over 20 years now. It's not new. We didn't, you know, desktop metal didn't invent metal 3d printing, but what we're doing is we're optimizing that process. So there's mm -hmm. a number of different ways that you could print metal. And when I was, I was started my career back in black and Decker. This was, you know, more than 20 years ago in the 90s, we were, we were utilizing 3D printing and 3D printing of metal. And I'll use quotes again. It wasn't really 3D printing of metal because we 3D printed a polymer. Back then it was an SLA form, um, very, very weak, um, looks like, kind of feels like, fits like model. Um, we coated mm -hmm. it with ceramic, coated it with ceramic and then burned it out and then poured, you know, aluminum into that mold. So we basically, basically created an investment cast by using printing um, to create metal parts. So that was the beginning right. of kind of metal, metal printing. That evolved into um, what we see right now, which is um, called direct laser mel melting, which is DMLS. Um, and that is taking a laser, firing it into a powder bed and melting. And that's closer to what you described kind of with the soldering, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's taking that powder up to its melting temperature, creating a melt pool um, and essentially drawing a picture with a laser of that part. Um, over and over and over and welding itself together. That's a, it's, it's a welding process. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of really good alloys don't, don't process well 
with laser melting. They just, they tend to crack, they expand and they contract. Yeah. I was going to say, doesn't that do something to the strength of the actual metal when you do, when you do something like that? A hundred percent. It changes the grain structure. And so when you look at a cross section of a laser melted part, um, it looks like it looks different than any other cross section you've ever seen of a metal manufactured part. It's a, it's welded up kind of voxel by voxel um, from, you know, from a micron powder all the way up to a, you know, a huge multi-inch sized part. And so the grains of that are extremely unique. They have, um, you know, they've been welded together. They have crazy different properties. Um, and it's not to say that they have, they're bad properties. If you can get them to weld, get these materials to weld um, and, and not crack, uh, they have usable properties. That's no problem. And in fact, in the early 2000s, companies like GE grabbed onto laser melting processes and said, this is the future. Um, we're going to develop it. They, they invested billions of dollars in these companies and built plants uh, around the world where you can, where they could make jet engine components. And, that, and it's fantastic. I love what they did because they were an early adopter of additive manufacturing. They said, we want to print parts because we can see the advantage. This is what's available to us. This, um, you know, this, this, this printing process of, um, of using lasers and firing into, into metal powder beds, we're, we're going to take it. And they took it and ran with it. And over the first 10 years of that history, they, they, developed, the, they developed it significantly into you know, a, a really rock solid processes that they could make certain components using certain materials. Um, and it was great. It was great to watch. When desktop metal came along, this was you know, a decade after GE had grown that business using laser melting. And we said, this is great, but, but you're developing larger and larger machines, more and more inexpensive processes focused at like, at aerospace engines, that's not what the consumer wants. That's not what the, the vast majority of manufacturing needs. We need it to be cheaper, faster, more affordable, and more accessible to companies like the automotive industry. Companies like I, you know, like I started Black and Decker. I wish that we could be printing power tools in metal, um, but we we could not afford that process. That was crazy. We need a billion dollar right. factory that you know prints metal. Uh, only you know GE and and, uh, and aerospace companies could afford that. So we launched in a different direction and we said, okay, we're going to leverage powdered metallurgy because powdered metallurgy is a, um, you know, is a great medium to work in, right? It's, it's like, it's like flour, but it's steel mm-hmm. or it's, it's, you know, it's titanium, Interesting. Um, but, but it's flour. And so it's very uh, high resolution. You can, you can build very high resolution structures and geometry with that powder. Um, but instead of melting it with a laser, we leveraged high volume, high speed inkjet processes. So literally oh. printing presses, you know, so you think about a printing press that prints at, you know, five meters per second um, yeah. and paper is just running over and, and huge high resolution billboards and, and picture like photo, photo quality images are created every day at like five meters per second um, using mm-hmm. these printing processes. So we developed our own inks that could bind the powder together. Um, we leveraged the powders that the metal injection molding industry was using and has been using for the past 50 years. So these powders, actually powdered metallurgy has been around for a hundred years. Um, and it is not typically melted with a laser. That was new. What it is typically done is it's sintered together. So you form the part into what we call a green part, which is just a bunch of powder. And then you put it into a furnace and the furnace drives out all the porosity. Um, it grows the grains larger than the powder size uh, itself. So you end up cross-sectioning these parts and it looks like a casting, right? It looks like 
Oh wow! The part was forecasted. <laughs> so cool. There's yeah. There's there's as it's almost there's like no it's almost like ceramic. It's almost like it's almost like you're making ceramics, but you're using you're creating metals out of it. You got it. That's exactly right. It's like a ceramics process, and metals are even better than ceramics um, at sintering. Now that it's more difficult, like ceramics because they're an oxygen containing material, right? So they're all oxides of some sort. Those ceramics we can fire in air, and they 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 love the fact that you know you're 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 in air, a nitrogen air mixture, you know a nice nitrogen oxygen mixture here that air, they, they fire perfectly fine in that. But metals don't like to oxidize. We don't want them to oxidize, I should say. Um, they love to oxidize, but we keep the oxygen out of them during the, the sintering process. So if you can get the oxygen out of the, out of the atmosphere, sinter in vacuum um, or in inert gases like argon and, um, and nitrogen, then you get a very high quality metal. Um, and that's what the powdered metal industry has been developed on for the past hundred years. 50 years ago, metal injection molding was introduced where you mix metal with polymer and injection mold it like a plastic. And these parts come out of the tool, you know, they're half metal and half plastic. You burn off the plastic and then you sensor the metal and you end up with a really nice high quality steel part. So we leveraged that plus the high speed printing press technology. And now we're mass producing parts um, that are glued together and go right through that same sintering process, drive out all the porosity and end up with a solid metal part. Wow, that's fantastic. So how long did it take you to develop this process? Um, so it took a few years. We were founded in um, 2015 um, and we launched our first product in 2017. And now we're adding to, to the portfolio. We're on this huge growth uh, ramp um, because I, you know, I think that everybody has, you know, feels the same way that we do. They, they wanted access to metal 3D printing and, um, and they, they hadn't, they, they didn't have it. So now we're giving customers who have been sitting around waiting for it, access to it. And other customers who have said, I'll never, I'll never be able to print metal, um, the, the same type of access. And, and, um, and now we're, we're entering industries that we never thought we'd get into. Like, for instance, we didn't launch the company thinking that we'd go print jewelry. But but, steep, but um, print, printing gold, silver, platinum, I mean, there's a huge industry out there that is ready to to print those materials. So we developed binders that would that would stick those powders together. Um, we're developing atomization processes to make gold powder and and, plat and platinum powder and and silver plat powder. Um, and that industry is taking off. So that's becoming a huge pillar of the additive manufacturing industry. You know, then you've got companies like Ford, General Motors, BMW. Who are in from the start? They said we want metal 3D printing. We just can't afford it, and now they can. Um, and so there's there's a lot of areas that we're we're diving into that um, we didn't even think we'd be in. Well, that's that's amazing. That's 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 totally amazing. So so uh, can you tell me about a little bit about you're saying that what they had to do instead is they're much more expensive processes. So if I wanted a part made in the previous process, like what kind of difference would you say? Like if if I went to company A, and then I went to you, what kind of variance would there be in the price of developing, building a product like that? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's two um, aspects to consider. So there's what you just described, like, uh, okay, we've got this part and I, I need to decide how I'm going to make it. I'm going to either print it or do a traditional manufacturing process on it, which could be machining or casting or, or, or whatever. So um, let's say you, you have that part that can be machined um, or could be cast in, you use jewelry as an example. So the jewelry process is, is, has traditionally been to take a piece of wax and to carve it. Um, and that's what the, um, you know, the jewelry designers of the past have, 
um, have done. They've, they've taken wax, they've carved it into the shape they want. They coat it then with a ceramic uh, powder material, like, like, a, you know, like pottery. Um, and they then melt, melt out the wax and then they pour in their gold or their silver or, or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. So they create they, a mold they, for uh, it and, and then, then they pour they, the metal into the mold, right? It's basically just a mold. You got it. You got process. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Just a, a really cheap kind of inex, inexpensive, uh, you know, tool. Um, but that takes time, right? And, and what happened um, over the past, you know, 20 years is that digital design or uh, jewelry design became digital. Um, everything is created in a 3D environment on your, on your, uh, you know, on your computer. Um, you're able to create very complicated, any, any geometry that you want, you can create in virtual, um, the virtual world. You can you refine it. You can show it to your customers. You can, you can experiment with it. Um, and then you need to get it out of the digital world. So 3D printers um, evolved into uh, polymer printers that could print plastic or could print wax. And so you could, instead of carving that part, you could then create it out of wax and so you could print it and then go through the same process, create the mold and then pour the forecast. Um, and so what we're able to do is directly print that metal. Instead of printing a mold or printing a, you know, a, a polymer piece first, you directly print that that metal. Um, and so that toolless manufacturing, you know, applies to a lot more than just the jewelry industry, but toolless digital manufacturing going straight from that digital, the digital environment to the physical environment in one step is so, is so, so, so valuable. Um, and so that's, that's one way to look at it. Um, there's this, this concept of um, design for additive, right? And so by taking what we just described is you took an existing design that you could make anyway, any way, a number of ways, um, and you chose to print it. Okay, great. We're, you know, reality is we're about parity uh, with doing that right now. If you take advantage of additive manufacturing and 3D printing, you can redesign your part to take advantage of it. Like you can put features um, in that part that can't be made any other way, uh, like cooling channels that that are are you know you can't touch you know with a with a drill bit. They just go deep into the part or they turn around and this is embedded um, you know, features. And once you begin to adopt this design for additive, uh, you know, uh, the spirit, you can, you can create so many different and new designs and, and take advantage of more than just what we described, which is like kind of speed or cost. You can do things that are just impossible any other way. You can take 10 parts and consolidate them into one you know, 10 parts that were designed to be an assembly because they can be manufactured that way and then they, they're bolted together. Well, why not just design one part that can be printed that is that, that you know, that is that assembly. Um, and once you adopt additive design for additive, it's really hard to go back because in order to go back, you have to split up the parts, you have to start adding bolt holes again, you have to, you're, you're becoming a lot less efficient. And this is where additive manufacturing today is enabling the rocket industry. They, the engines of yesterday were a million different components, all pieced together, super complicated, hard to maintain and, and, and having reliability issues because they were all different parts bolted together. Um, the rocket engines of today are a fraction of the size because they are completely consolidated, a thousand parts into one. And they are now much more efficient, much more effective um, and they're enabling this reusable rocket, this reusable engine that we're seeing, you know, SpaceX take advantage of. And there's this, SpaceX is the lead, the lead name, but there are tens of names of rocket companies and engine companies um, that are right behind them. 
because the space is blowing up and additive manufacturing is enabling it. Wow. I, I love that concept, but is it hard for um, people, designers who are currently out there, like say the majority of people who who haven't played with this before have always gone with regular manufacturing. Is it difficult for them to to make that leap into additive? Because I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's like going from functional to object-oriented programming. It's almost impossible to go back, right? So is it difficult for people to actually make the leap into it? You're absolutely right. It absolutely it is a, um, it's a, it's a skill. Uh, we as mechanical engineers design the parts as much for their function as for their manufacturing process. Right? If you design a hook, you know, a, a, a hook or a bracket, um, you know what you want it to do. You know how you want it to function, but you immediately have to ask yourself, how am I going to make this? And so you, you yep. then steer the design in that direction of like, either I'm going to bend sheet metal or I'm going to, you know, mill it out of a block or I'm going to. Yeah. Cast I mean, the practicality it, you know, you, is you, almost more important than anything. I remember my, my old engineering classes were the same thing. It's like, you know, you can make a fanciful structure, but you know, if you can't build it in with using our current process, then you got to change it. But it sounds like that's, that's changed now, but go ahead. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, and sometimes it's, it influences the design more than the actual functional design is, is the design for manufacturing. Um, yeah. So yeah, so the, 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 um, the consideration of design for additive is, is all, has only been, you know, started to be taught in schools in the, in the past, I don't know, 10 years. I wish that I had learned about this as part of my design for manufacturing courses um, in university. Um, and, and we had them, right? You, you go through a manufacturing course and a big part of that manufacturing course, it, not 90% of it is, is design considerations for the manufacturing process. I'm going to injection mold this. It needs to have draft angles. Needs to have, exactly. You, know, you almost have to start backwards. You say, here's my limitations. And then you, you got to work within this little box, right? Yes, yes. And so you study that hard and you know it. And, I, and, and once you know it, it's, it's great. You can think about any design from a manufacturing standpoint and then and then design it and it, and it kind of it, it constrains your design which is great i love constraints um they constrain your designs and you can design it and move on and so the designers of my generation or older generations they grew up on that um design for manufacturing not including additive so it's a hard transition at you know at our level to say um or you know at, at older engineers to look back and say okay we're gonna uh, relief all these constraints and start thinking about how to design this from scratch, like what if I didn't have to put draft angles? What if I didn't have to maintain wall thicknesses? What if I could do anything I wanted to do? Um, there are still rules on additive manufacturing and design for additive um, that need to be taught and need to be learned. Um, and they're, they're different for each of these processes that we've been talking about. But today's engineer, it's like a generational change. Um, and that's why this is all kind of coming together as like the perfect storm. There's this generation, you know, iPad, iPhone generation of engineers coming out of school now that have, um, you know, that they, they demand instant gratification. They're demanding 3D printing. They, they need their physical yep. part out of that computer, to, you know, tomorrow. Um, and so they're learning the design for additive from scratch, which is fantastic. They're saying, okay, hey, if I want to print this, which I do, I need to know the best way to design it. Um, and, and they're learning. And so it's, it's happening. It, you know, it, it's yep. happening, which is fantastic to, to witness and experience. You almost, you almost need to bring the artists in. Because like the artists are like, oh, they're already outside of the box and the engineers are inside the box. So if you like meld those two things together and then you'll get, you get some new stuff because, you know, breaking out of that, yes. breaking out of that mindset is really difficult. It's, it's so difficult. And, 
you're, you're absolutely right to bring in um, designers and, and, and artists because industrial design, um, that's, that's one of the push pulls that you experience if you, you know, when you go through manufacturing, real world manufacturing challenges, you have designers who want the product to look a certain way. And they're, they're fighting with the, the engineers who are designing that product and saying, I can't, I can't give you that. Like that's, it's an, that's a very yeah. difficult thing to, to achieve. It's going to be very expensive if you want that. Uh, it's going to be bigger than you want it. Um, and so now there's, you know, now <laughs> we're starting to get along better with, with the designers. Starting to say, you know, <laughs> learn what, what, is, what is more possible. Fantastic. I love it. This is great. So, so I, I love this because it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan and I'm like, oh, we need replicator technology. And this is like it, this is, this is replicator technology for me, for metal, metal things. But so how big can you make, like, what's the, what's the largest part that you can make using, using your tech? Yeah. So in, in metal technology, and, and I have to say that um, desktop metal is expanding our tech. We're, we're joining with other companies that, um, you know, that have similar visions. Um, either have a, have a, a play in metal or in polymers uh, or something that we can, we can put together in, in concert and, you know, and, and more of a one plus one equals three type of, um, you know, relationship. But um, yeah, with, with metals, focusing on metals, which is super exciting. Um, the process really dictates how large the parts can be. And there are metal printing um, processes right now that almost have unlimited size, right? They're robots oh, wow. on cranes that uh, you can imagine like a cable or a big wire coming in uh, and melting that wire and depositing a, you know, a, a bead of weld. Um, and this is how some of the rocket uh, companies are building their fuel tanks, for example, is to, you know, to basically weld them up into giant structures. Much, wow. you, know, you can use uh, much more effective technologies like titaniums or super alloys. And you can, um, and you can build, you know, giant, almost seamless structures uh, that, uh, you know, were otherwise had to be fabricated, uh, you know, in, in a totally different way, you know, take much longer the way that like, you know, the, the, um, the, the, uh, space shuttle, you know, took, you know, decades to complete and you now have SpaceX that's launching like rocket after rocket after rocket each year. And it's because yeah. that, 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 you know, that time scale has been compressed significantly due, you know, thanks to being able to go from the digital space to the physical space so quickly right now. Fantastic. So it's time to think like a futurist. We're taking 2031, 10 years from now. I mean, do we see homes actually built with your printer? I mean, what do we, what can we, what can we not build with that thing? It sounds like, it sounds like it's almost too, yes. it sounds almost too good to be true. <laughs> Would it be like yeah, a, so, a billion I mean, dollar home if I built a home with your 3D printer? <laughs> uh, well, no, uh, homes is a great example. And it's, it's, we're already exploring homes, right? So 3D printing of like cement structures uh, is, is being done. Metal, metal structures yeah. is being done. Um, matter of fact, there are treks of homes in, you know, in different countries that are, are being 3d printed because they are able to, you know, efficiently produce very simple or even very complicated shapes, um, very quickly, right. Entire tracks of homes. You can imagine a crane coming in, you know, on a track and printing a home after home, after home. After oh yeah. Home I've actually, home. I've seen videos um, and, you know, it's, and it's, images it's, of that. It's phenomenal. I love it. Uh, yes, absolutely. Love it, love it, love it. And these are the types of technologies that we're going to take with us to Mars, right? That's what we're, when we go to Mars, we're not going to bring a, you know, a couple pallets of, of lumber. We're going to bring, <laughs> you know, a printing machine that can, <laughs> can set up um, and use the, the natural resources from the planet to, you know, produce structures. Uh, and maybe it's not the entire structure, but it's, it's, 
you know, the foundation, the, the skeletal structure of these foundations can and should be printed um, with local natural resources. So that, you know, that's happening here on our planet. That's happening. Um, that will happen on the moon. That will happen on Mars. I mean, that is the way that we, uh, you know, efficiently travel and build. Yep. But it sounds like it sounds like nothing's really stopping us. I mean, the technology is there. I mean, what's holding us back from using using this more? Is it is it still cost? Is it a lot more expensive? It sounds like it's not more a lot more expensive to do this additive manufacturing. No, no. It, so today, and the reason why we are uh, in the growth. Um, stage of our life right now is because today we have achieved parity with traditional manufacturing um, where, you know, Hey, you can, you can do what you were saying before. You can take a look at a part and you can say, should I, should I invest in casting? Should I invest in machining? Should I, should I print it? It's, you know, we're all basically the same price and the same with home, home manufacturing and, um, and building, um, you know, bridges and, and, and homes. You can um, argue and you can make a very good argument that 3d printing is as as affordable as any other of these manufacturing processes. And that is, and we're just at the beginning, right? So what happens as you, as you go up economies of scale um, and, the, and the ecosystems around you begin to grow and optimize, um, you had an exponential growth curve um, and the adoption rate increases, the costs come down. Um, so the fact that we're at parity right now means that we've hit the tipping point. We're, you know, everyone's in, um, it's now uh, a reality. And this is what we're calling additive 2.0. This additive manufacturing has been around since the 80s, right? The, the early patents were in the 60s and 70s for some of the first machines came out in the 80s. Um, and they were, you know, they were known to be expensive and slow, um, maybe producing looks like, feels like models of, of components. Um, but we've, we've evolved them over the past 20 years to today where we've reached parity on manufacturing costs and the performance of the parts is, is the same as mass produced. And so we're entering the second stage of additive manufacturing where we can begin to really mass produce for real applications for, you know, for the, you know, for the, the, the mass production applications today that were off limits uh, yesterday. It's fantastic. So, so what are there specific areas that you think there should be more expansion in coming up? Yeah. So absolutely. So, um, so today, as I mentioned, we're, you know, we're enabling these reusable rocket engines, reusable rockets, um, we've begun to distribute manufacturing uh, around the globe. So, you know, your companies can put additive manufacturing wherever they want the parts, not consolidated in a low rent country, but in, but expand it and, and reshore it um, back here in the U.S. I mean, jewelry market, another great example, um, you know, jewelry has been, hasn't been manuf manufactured in Manhattan for 50 years, but that's where it started. I mean, even these jewelry manufacturers who were building there and it's just been unaffordable. They would love to bring it back to areas like that, um, take it back into the US. Um, so that is happening now. If we look at the, you know, in the short term, um, you know, we're gonna see a lot of other technologies become uh, more viable because of that. You know, enable, uh, 3D printing is, is enabling carbon capture technology and other green tech uh, technologies. Um, organs can be printed now. So medical applications that were un, unheard of in the past. And this was, oh, yeah. you know, three, four, five years ago um, when, these, um, sci you know, these scientists and engineers at, at Northwestern University printed ovaries for the very first time. In they, they implanted them into mice and the mice reproduced with wow. those ovaries. That is fantastic. Demonstrating that it's amazing, amazing, amazing. So you can imagine the implications that that can have on the human, but that type of technology takes years to get uh, approved for humans. So, uh, you know, mice are reproducing for, you know, for the past five years using implanted printed ovaries. 
Um, we'll see that emerge over the next five to 10 years in, in humans. And it won't just be, you know, it won't just be ovaries, it'll be other organs, other organ repair, um, other, you know, areas where, um, you know, 3D printing is being qualified uh, because right now it's capable, but we're now, we're now fully qualifying it. Um, I think uh, the fusion technology that we're seeing right now, fusion technology is coming and fusion technology has been able, being enabled by 3D printing as well. The types of heat exchangers and complicated geometries um, that are required to, to, you know, to capture the, the, the plasma, the magnets um, that, that are required for some of these fusion generators um, to, to operate, that is being unlocked through you know, the use of 3D printing. Um, and like we talked about like building structures on other, on other planets as we travel there, like, like Elon wants to go to Mars and he's going to, um, and, and I believe that he'll take uh, a 3D printer with him uh, when he goes. And that's, you know, that may be 10 years from now, that may be you know, 15 years or 20 years from now, but that's, that's what's happening. And if you look even further, I mean, now you're talking Star Trek replicator stuff. I mean, we're kind of already there um, with 3D printers where you take a base material, uh, you know, a, a, a metal powder that could be anything. Um, and then you basically put it through your printer and you create what you need. And that's going to be really critical for space travel, right? Once you get up in a rocket and you're on a mission that takes, you know, a hundred years to get from point A to point B, what do you have up there with you? You only have what you took and uh, maybe some energy from the stars around you, right? So you have almost unlimited energy from the stars, but what do you do with that energy? Uh, you, you're not producing mass. So what you need to do is recycle that mass that you brought with you. If you need a spare part or a wrench, you print what you need and then you recycle it back into the dust, right? You recycle it back into the, the, the powder. Um, and so yeah. you, you don't have a socket set up there. You have essentially a socket set on your, on your server. And what you need is what is printed and then you use it and then you put it right back into the digital environment. Exactly. So, um, I mean, the, the full-on replicator technology is taking any kind of mass and turning it into any other kind of mass. But if you think about it, if you just had dif different chunks of mass, you had proteins, carbohydrates, you could create food. If you had metal, you could create parts. If you had, So you almost need different kinds of masses, but it sounds like we have the technology to take those different kinds of masses and turn them into something else that's either edible or usable or whatever. And then all we need is the, the, the rest of the circle to be able to take those, those proteins and, and push them back into the, into the system again. But it sounds like we're, we're really on our way. I mean, it, there's, you, you, based on what you've been talking about, you know, there's really nothing stopping us but sort of cultural change. Like how, how quickly can I get my fanciful metal designed by myself house, you know, that doesn't look like sort of like the car that, that, um, that Homer Simpson designed <laughs> in, my, in my neighborhood. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's exactly the way to think about it. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, how do, how do we recycle and reuse all of that, you know, all of that mass that, that um, you know, that we have available to us in, into the structures that we want. And that's the way to be thinking about it today on earth. You know, we're lazy here on earth and we just, we, we make what we need and we throw it away into a landfill. Um, but over the course of the next 20 years, uh, sustainable green tech, recycling, carbon uh, capture, this is going to be the focus of technology. We need to figure out how to be more efficient here on Earth because once we get up into space, there's no other answer. You have to be. Yeah, absolutely right. It's, it's, it's interesting you say, like, because it's like the constraints are there, but we can use those constraints here to make life better here. So it's, it's exactly. I love it. That, that, that's, All right. Is, well, this has is. been great. Thank you so much. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Just go to desktopmetal.com or are there any, is Absolutely, there... yes. Yeah. Yeah, check us out at desktopmetal.com. Um, we, we always, you know, link, link up with us on, on Twitter. 
um, and um, and LinkedIn. You you can find me um, on the same on the same platforms. Please come to our website dust.metal.com and um, and check out what we're doing. Really exciting stuff. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks, talk. Great Thanks, talking Chris. to you. Yeah, yeah. Great talking to you too. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. <laughs>